Welcome to the Nonprofit Hero Factor, a weekly live video broadcast and podcast where we'll be helping nonprofit leaders and innovators create more heroes for their cause and a better world for all of us. Ding. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Nonprofit Hero Factory. Today, I've got to give you a little bit of a full disclosure, if you will. Uh, our guest today is one of my oldest and dearest friends. We've actually known each other for over 20 years now because we are getting that old. Uh, luckily, though, he also happens to be a nonprofit leader and a teacher. He teaches people how to actually ask people for money, a topic that I think is particularly critical at this time of year for organizations of all sizes, whether you have a large development staff or none at all and you do everything yourself, really knowing how to talk to people, how to do that ask, how to properly seal the deal, if you will, or even start the conversation, I think can be really intimidating to people. So I'm having my friend Andrew Frank on today to talk to us about all of that. Andrew is currently the executive director of the New York City Children's Theater. I met him, like I said, over 20 years ago in another theater company in another life. (laughs) So previously, though, Andrew was the director of the Cultural Institutions Unit at the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs, where he oversaw relationships between the city and arts institutions. He was also the interim executive director of the Queen's Symphony Orchestra and the president of TYA USA, a national service organization that serves the field of theater for young audiences. And he now sits on the board of the Dramatic Question Theater Company as well. As a commercial producer, in addition to a number of off-Broadway projects, Andrew was an associate producer on Broadway with Lombardi, a new American play. Andrew is also a personal coach with a certificate in coaching from NYU. And he describes his superpower as helping nonprofit fundraisers and artists move, remove obstacles, increase confidence, and increase success rates when asking for money. With that, let's bring Andrew on to tell us more of his story. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Boris. Good to see you. Good to see you. We talk all the time, but we actually rarely get to talk on video like this. It's, it's no, a different feeling. Very rarely. That's right. We're phone people. That's... We are phone people. <laughs> from that age. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we don't even FaceTime. That's that's true. No, not no Zoom, no FaceTime, just good old-fashioned phone. Amazing that that technology still works, huh? It's over uh, 130 years old now or something like that. I hate to misquote technology. <laughs> yeah. All right, Andrew. So I've obviously talked you up a, a good bit over here, but why don't you tell us what's your story? How do you come to doing this? Um, thanks, Bars. Well, I, I started in New York City. I came all the way from Long Island to be a, uh, a theater director. And one of the things that happens when you're 20 something and you want to direct a play in New York is you have to raise money to do it because no one's going to hire you. So before I even knew what I was doing, I was raising money to produce plays so I could direct them. Um, After a while, when my circle got bigger, uh, we started Manhattan Theater Source, which is where you and I uh, met. And I was raising money and building a board and putting that together. Um, And then from there, I, uh, I, I went to the Department of Cultural Affairs, where I really started to see how big institutions uh, my job really was covering a lot of board meetings. And so I was sitting around at boards and you know, listening to how they were fundraising and asking for money. Um, and then from there, uh, I wanted to run my own organization again. So I, I, I uh, took over New York City Children's Theater about 11 years ago and have um, uh, you know, run a number of different organizations, as you've mentioned. 
um, all during that time, my love of theater and individual artists was was you know stayed strong, and I kept working with them. And I got so tired of of helping, of you know, having them, watching them struggle, so that I created a a course on how to help people um, ask for money. And I started that with individual artists, and then realized that the boards that I joined didn't understand how to ask people for money, and staffs didn't know how to ask for money. So I wound up um, presenting that course and it evolved over really the last 15 years, um, basically a, a primer, an outline on uh, you know, helping you uh, ask people for money. Um, yeah, so that's my story. Here that's, I am with you. That's the, the, <laughs> latest, the latest, greatest achievement is being on the uh, nonprofit Hero Factory. I noticed your eyes go up to, to read that to make sure you, you know. <laughs> I want to make sure I get the branding right. Yeah. Excellent. I do appreciate that. So um, in in that story that you just told, you mentioned that you codified this into a course, um, which, by the way, I, I should say, you know, you and I recorded a version of this course a few years ago now, and it is on the uh, .org strategy courses, courses.org.strategy website. But um, um, this is not just about directing people to that or trying to, to make money off them. We're really just trying to share as much information as possible and as much value as possible. And we'll talk about a few other ways that people can learn more. But um, let's start with why even make a course? What what makes it so challenging that people need to learn how to ask people for money? Yeah, you know, what's what's amazing, I, I, I think, over the years is the, the anxiety and the emotional barriers that people have about asking for money. They they most people have a problem just asking someone. I mean, frequently it's because they're they're starting with friends or family. But even when it's not uh, somebody that they know, they feel like by asking it means something bad about them, or that they're weak, or that uh, you know that they're gonna you know they're gonna get a no and they're afraid of rejection. I mean, none of us like rejection. I mean, no one likes to ask somebody out and be rejected, and asking somebody for money and being rejected. We just, we just don't like that. And so I think at the end, what what's happens is that people dream about asking people for money, but they don't actually do it because they're afraid of taking that step. Um, and you know, over the years, I've collected all kinds of reasons on on why it sucks. Uh, you know, and it's and it's funny. You know, the same group of people will say, "Well, I'm going to get a no," or some people say, "I'm going to get a yes," and then I'll have to deliver. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, really, what it comes down to, I think, is that is is the sort of anxiety that we have around money and the sort of misconception that it means something is wrong. It means that we are not successful or it means that I haven't achieved the right thing and I'm asking you for money because I haven't made it on my own already or I haven't gotten there some other way. And, and I think that that's, that's the headline that goes in our heads that it means that we're weak or we're unsuccessful. Um, and we have to get over that. We have to. Um, so are some people just innately better at this than others? Are all of us born with this uh, issue or are there just some natural born winners, if you will, that uh, can go out there and raise money anytime? You know, I have to say, you know, throughout my years in the nonprofit sector, I mean, I've bumped into a few people who say, oh, yeah, asking people for money is fun. It's the fun in fundraising. And uh, and but I would say 99 percent of people do not like to ask other people for money. Um, but that being said, I think it's a skill set. I think it's something that you can learn. I think it's something you can get very good at. And I think it's something that at least you can um 
polish and create you know i think it's i think it's a skill set that's the best way to describe it it's a skill you can learn and get better at and really what you can do is you can raise money for your your nonprofit or your project that you're working on um and i have seen many people get much better at it and become successful fundraisers um uh, I, I don't think it's something that you either have to be nature, you know, naturally good at it or not good at it. I, I think it's something that's absolutely learnable. So then what do you tell those folks like myself, to be honest, who are afraid for one reason or 10 reasons to ask other people for money? How do, how do we overcome that mindset? Um, yeah. So let me just start by saying, I think the first thing to do is, is, is to challenge this idea that asking people for money means something is wrong or that you're not successful. And I would actually ask people to go look out in the world and see who are successful people are. And when you look at very successful people, whether they're um, political candidates or CEOs or, you know, philanthropists, they, even the ones that give away money, they raise money. They raise money and they're very successful at it. And actually people who raise money, you know, become successful and it's like, oh my God, look at that amazing person. They've raised so much money for this charity or they've raised so much money for this political movement or for this, you know, project. I mean, when have you ever heard somebody say, oh my God, that horrible person who raised $10 million to support, you know, you know, backpacks for, you know, people in homeless shelters. I mean, you wouldn't, you'd be like, oh my God, that person's amazing. So the first thing I think we have to sort of say is uh, asking people for money is a sign of success. Uh, just the act of it on its own communicates um, commitment communicates a belief in yourself, communicates um, the value that you bring to the world about the project that you're talking about. So I think the very, very first thing to do is to challenge the idea of why we think it's wrong um, and to get over that. Um, the other second, the second piece that that I think is is uh, is a big deal is practice. Uh, we we don't do it a lot. Um, and if there's anything in your life that you just don't do a lot, I mean, it, it's hard to do. If you don't cook for somebody, you know, if you don't cook, you know, and then like three times a year, you want to sit down and cook a really nice meal. It's hard to do. Uh, if you cook every night, you, you get really good at it. And I, I don't care, you know, what skill set you have. You read, you watch, you know, you, you get better at it. So the other part of asking people for money is practicing and doing it and doing it regularly. I would even say for myself as, a, as an executive director, I have to make a lot of phone calls to foundations. And when I procrastinate and I put it off and I don't do it on a regular basis, my own anxiety, even after all these years, goes up. But when I do it every week and I make it part of my routine, it's easier to do. And so I think those are the top two. I mean, we can go deeper at other times, but those are the top two is a mental uh, and a practice. Um, you know, awesome. I would uh, I would also add to that mental part of it. Um, one shift that I have seen really helpful, both to myself and to others, is rather than thinking about it as asking for money, it's offering someone an opportunity to become a part of something, to become a part of whether it's an organization or a project or whatever it is that's going to do good for the world. And hopefully they already believe in the outcomes that you're shooting for, your vision, sure. right? 
Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, we can talk about this more later, but when you're asking for money, you're asking for a specific amount of money to have a certain thing happen, a certain outcome. You know, would you give $5,000 so we can run an arts and education program in a homeless shelter? And you're not giving, you're not asking for $5,000. You're asking to run an arts and education program at a homeless shelter. The money is the conduit. Um, but that's that that it, that is definitely a good point, Boris, in terms of the mental shift. Um, yeah. But also speaks to your belief that the program is valuable, right? Like it's a, that's part of why we're asking in the first place because we believe in what we're doing. So since we're jumping into that already, anyway, um, let's talk about this. What's the greatest challenge that people? asking for money are facing today? Obviously things are always changing in, in the world, but certain things also stay the same. So yeah. has asking for money changed? I, you know, it really has. I, 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 I wish it hasn't changed as much, but it has changed, you know, for a lot of reasons. You know, one reason is that in our, in our COVID world, there's so much noise. Um, so to get to get your message through, to get people to respond to an email or pick up the phone or, to, you know, or to meet you in person um, is obviously so much harder. Um, and that particular piece, um, meeting in person is by far the most effective way to ask somebody for money. It's an in-person direct ask is, is the best way to do it. And so that being taken off the table is certainly a challenge. Um, and then also there's so much need right now in the world. There's so much competing, um, there's so much competing interests in terms of need and they're all relevant and they're all, you know, from, from homes being destroyed by floods and wildfires and people being homeless and, you know, all kinds of real specific things that are going on. It's, it's harder um, to make your case. Um, but that being said, it's even that more important that we're good at it and that we practice it and that we, we, we take it on, right? Because we can't get overwhelmed and say, oh, well, too bad. You know, there's lots of people in need, you know, my project is, is, is just gonna disappear. Like that would be horrible. We have to dig in deeper, um, I think, and, and, and overcome the challenges. So ultimately, as you were saying before, we have to believe that our mission and the work that we're trying to do is still vital right to the community and if we don't do this and if we don't find ways to rise above the noise or break through and make these connections then we won't be able to do what we do and people are relying on us just because it's not the most pressing the you know in some ways the sexiest thing at the moment or the most uh, uh, in the headlines thing at the moment doesn't mean that our missions not important and that communities don't rely on us, right? Yeah, I, I always say, uh, you know, to people in a workshop that the world, I mean, like the world literally is counting on those people, counting on you to go out there and make these really important projects in the nonprofit sector and the arts sector and the cultural sector happen. Like they have to happen. Uh, we're not, they're not, uh, the, our, our society is not going to just automatically support these causes without the energies of the people that are making them happen. And it's, it, it's crucial for us to keep doing it. Um, yeah, so I, I feel like it's an imperative that we, we work at it, we get better at it, and we, we make our nonprofit survive. So then how do we do it today, uh, especially in this COVID uh, 
hybrid, whatever world that we're living in, where meeting in person is so much tougher. What do we do to overcome that challenge? Yeah. So, you know, the first thing I would say to people is don't be afraid of the phone. You and I were talking about this at the beginning. I make a lot of phone calls. I talk to people on the phone. In fact, many foundations uh, are run by people of an older generation and they don't like Zoom. And so they pick up the phone. Obviously, for people who are comfortable on video, Zoom is great or, you know, whatever, FaceTime, whatever video it is. But video uh, meetings are, are wonderful and um, I think they're great. Um, and then also, obviously, you know, email uh, and, and texting. Actually, I was thinking about this before coming on that how many people I've actually started to text rather than email because i feel like email is actually gets just so clogged but if i have somebody's personal phone number and i can text them and get them on the phone with me and talk to them about what we're doing it feels more personal and and, and it pushes through the noise obviously i have to have their phone number but um i think the key is personalizing what the outreach is I think if you send a, a, a general email to 50 people, that, that that's not gonna cut it. I think you have to take the time to individually reach out to people and then meet them where they are. I mean, if they can meet you on the street for a cup of coffee and they're comfortable in our COVID times, do it. I always meet in person. If not, and they're willing to Zoom or meet with you on video, do that. If not, call them. Um, but I, I think you have to um, find them where they are and go to them and not expect them to come to you. I think that's a, that's a big a big piece of it. I think that's uh, right on and absolutely critical, you know, whether whether it's because that uh, the person is an older generation and there's almost a uh, double-edged sword to it or double whammy maybe is is the better uh, expression because with covid people are less likely to be out in the first place and older uh, older generation folks are more uh, in danger of adverse effects of COVID. So they might not want to be out as much. And at the same time, a lot of them are also the ones who are less comfortable with technology and so can't necessarily hop on a Zoom link real quick. I mean, I've experienced this, I'm sure we all have so many times uh, over the last couple of years now almost that you know it, it just doesn't happen. and many of us today don't think, wait, I can just pick up the phone and still use this computer as, as a telephone that, that's been in my pocket all these years. Yeah, I, I have to tell you, I, we're, we're at the beginning of our year at New York City Children's Theater and we're, we, we, we do cold calls to foundations. I, I will call a foundation, I will leave a message um, and we talk to people um, and you'd actually be surprised by how many responses we get from an actual phone call and a message leaving. I think we get more response than we do when we send an email because uh, the email is being filtered through somebody, maybe the associate. I mean, I, I think reaching out um, and, and I feel like to me saying, hi, I'm Andrew Frank. Can I talk to you about blah, 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 uh, gets a better response, um, you know, than, than the email. Yeah, everybody talks uh, about the oversaturation, the the noise, the crowdedness of, of spaces, but there are continually spaces that are less crowded that if you can utilize, why not? And sometimes it is going retro, if you will, to, to a technology that's older than all of us combined <laughs> that, yeah. that still works. Yeah, I absolutely, I, I, I'm, I'm a huge believer in make a phone call. Um, 
Yeah. If you can't so, show up in person, make a phone call. Right. And sometimes people are on the other side of the country or even on the other side of the world and you can't necessarily uh, meet in person. It'd be great if we all had the budgets to just fly anywhere that we wanted, but <laughs> obviously it. that's not the most effective use of our funds. Um, so let's assume that we've overcome our uh, fears and our obstacles to fundraising, and we have figured out the best way that we can meet with someone, whether it be in person or through video or the phone or email or as you correctly pointed out, text is actually growing rapidly as a personal communications yeah. method and yeah, you great. want your asks to be personal. Yeah. So let's assume that we've we've set aside or, or overcome those challenges for now. How do you teach someone, how do you actually personally teach someone to ask for money if every ask is supposed to be personal, right? It should be crafted to the individual. Is there something that you could actually teach? Uh, yes, well, I'm, I've been doing it. I've, so, so I think so. I think the answer is yes, that you can teach it. At least I've been trying and hopefully I, it, it's not been in vain. Um, but uh, yes, everything is specific. And yes, every individual, you, you know, ideally want to know what the individual cares about. Um, but that being said, when you ask somebody for money, I think there's a basic structure that you can hold on to, especially when you're learning and you're doing it for the first time. And it's, it, it's simple, but if you follow it, it's helpful. First, there's an opening, there's an intro. You know, hi, I'm Andrew, I'm the executive director of New York City Children's Theater. I wanna to talk to you about uh, supporting you know, some programs that we're doing you know, in homeless shelters or free tickets or something. Then the, that's the first section. And then the second section is a story where you're telling some version of why you're here, how you've come here, why is it relevant, why is it important? Um, you know, we were asked by the city to start a program in homeless shelters. We've been doing it for five years, blah, blah, blah. But there's a story that is communicated. Um, so that's the second section. The third section is an ask and you're asking um, and there's, you know, you know, some good ideas are to be very specific. Will you give us money is not a great ask. Will you give us $5,000 so that we can support X program or, you know, pay for X, you know, um, expense is a better ask. And if there's anything that you can give in exchange for that, that's always good. So there's an ask and potentially an exchange. And then there's a closing where you say, thank you very much um, and thank them for their time, whether they've uh, said yes or they say no. So I think if you look at that sort of like anatomy of an ask, you know, where there's an opening, there's a story, there's an ask and there's a closing, it gives you a, a, a format to hold on to, um, especially when you're doing it for the first time. Um, but I still think about it and I've been doing it for a very long time. I still think to myself, make sure you're introducing yourself. Make sure you're, you know, you're you're telling why you're here, um, and make sure that you're asking for something specific. It's always so hard. People always ask me, "How do you pick a number? How do you know how much money to ask somebody?" Uh, I mean, there are tricks to that, and you know, in in another time and more time, we could we could figure out. But being specific is helpful. Um, and I also just want to say, when people give you money, whether they give you money or not, the thank you is such a big deal. I've heard from philanthropists and from donors how often people don't write really warm thank you emails or call and say thank you and um, don't, don't follow up 
Um, even major institutions struggle with this, and I don't understand why that is, but it's a big deal because getting money and keeping a, someone a donor is is just as important. Yeah, so the pitch, and I've had several guests talk about this particular thing that you were just mentioning. The pitch is one thing. Getting a donation, though, that's the start of a relationship. That's and right. keeping that relationship, making it, feel like a bi-directional, mutually beneficial relationship is absolutely critical. Otherwise, it takes so much effort to get that donor in the first place that why would you want to repeat that process more than you have to rather than that genuine yeah. upkeep that you could do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we start getting past the ones you've asked for money and they've said, yes, you know, the, the sort of ongoing relationship management is really important. You, you, you really want to avoid the situation where you're asking somebody for money once a year and that's the only time you connect with them. That's generally not good. And you I have to, to tell you, yeah, there's one organization that I've donated to. I, I don't even mind calling them out. Um, I use Wikipedia a lot. And so I actually am one of the few people apparently on this planet who donates to Wikipedia. And I've donated different amounts over the years and I got basically no communication with them year round. And then just now I had an email saying, hey, Boris, you donated to us. And I don't even remember if it was last year or two years ago that I donated last. And we really appreciate it. And can you please donate again? Seriously, no, no sort of upkeep and no staying in touch with me over this entire time period of, hey, here how, here's how your money's working. Here's what we've been able to do. Here's how we've grown. Nothing just comes back to me and this is wikipedia surely they know digital yeah it's it's an it's, who raised these people don't don't they know don't they know how to say thank you and and, and invite you to the party in the middle I, i've heard i've heard horror stories where people give money to pay for events and then not be invited to the event i mean it, it's 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 not great um but the 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 we're coming back to like our structure in terms of what it is when you're asking people for money being gracious as part of that ask, whether they say no or they say yes, I think is really important. And I just want to add something here, which is that when I ask somebody for money or I even write at a grant or whatever, and we get a no, I always say, you know, every no is, 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 is one step closer to a yes. You're not going to get, if you ask 10 people, you're not going to get 10 yeses. You're going to have to get no's. It's just the way it goes. So like whenever I get a no, I'm like, great, I'm not much closer to a yes. I mean, like, and I think celebrating that um, as, as, as part of the, the, the mental and the practice in terms of getting good at it. Yeah, celebrating the fact that you asked as an achievement in and of itself. In itself, that's right. Had the chance to practice, that you've um, actually gotten some time in front of somebody. So they may eventually develop into a better relationship anyway. Right. Over time, we develop relationships that are stronger and truer and people are more likely to support you later on. Right. Absolutely. I, I, I've, I've had many people say no in the moment and then year later or two years later, you know, give money because they weren't ready at that moment or their priorities changed or it was a new project. And then they wanted the project to be more established. Um, so sometimes the no, you know, that you get early on. In fact, one of the things that I always say is that like when someone says no, one thing that you can ask them is I totally understand. Thank you for your time. Can I follow up with you in the future and just update you on the project? Would that be okay? 
And often they say yes. And then you just send updates on the project. And then you'd be surprised how often six months later, a year later, they're like, oh, wow, you actually are you know, doing this. You know, I'll give you some money. Andrew, could you also ask them if there are other types of projects that they might be interested in? So if you've pitched them on, on one thing right now, maybe in six months, you could come back to them with, with something else. Yeah, you know, I think I think that 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 goes to like trying to understand better, you know, what somebody's interested in. Um, and, you know, there's a classic version of, you know, people are interested in the mission. They're they're interested in access. They're interested in status. They're, they're, they're interested in different things. Um, and so sometimes do you know, when you ask somebody about a certain project, hopefully before you've asked them, you have some inkling that they like what you're talking about. Um, but it does happen, especially with foundations, but with individuals too, where you say, you know, um, homeless shelters, and they say, no, I, I'm actually, you know, more interested in diversifying audiences or something. And, and then there's another program that you can, you know, bring back to them. Yeah. So um, we've got the intro, we've got the story, we've got the ask, we've got the closing. Are there any pitfalls that we want to try to be aware of when we're making the four sections, the four parts of, of a pitch? I would say, <clears throat> yeah, you know, so one thing I always say is like, don't skip the intro and the closing. Um, you know, uh, it's really annoying to get a letter from somebody or to have somebody call you on the phone and talk to you about something and then ask you for money. It feels like you've been hoodwinked. It's not great. Like if you ever read a letter you get, and then at the end it's like, oh, and will you support us? It's like, oh, this is a fundraising letter. It's not nice. So it's really important at the beginning to say, hi, I'm calling. I want to talk to you about supporting this organization. So I think that's really important. The other thing that I would say is the biggest pitfall is to um, assume that the person understands the relevancy of the work that you're doing or the project that you're creating. I think we get so wrapped up in our own sense of how important it is that we do that we forget that the rest of the world out there isn't living in our office in our head in our programs and and we just think oh of course people would give this money right because it's so important um and 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 i think you need to make sure that you don't fall into that trap and that you explain every time why the work is important at least in the first ask i mean and but reiterating it reiterating it over and over and over again why what you're doing is important, why your story is unique, why the service you're delivering is, is crucial, especially in this time where so many are in need. Um, that would be, I think, the biggest thing to make sure. That's the biggest mistake that I see is people just assuming, yeah, of course people will support this. It's important, right? Doesn't the world need this? You know, it's like, there's a lot going on. Absolutely. Uh, so if someone is just uh, getting started are there any tools or resources that you recommend? Or maybe someone's been doing this for a long time, like yourself. Are there any resources that you recommend that they go check out? Um, there's, uh, well, uh, to start off, we're, uh, I'm doing a workshop at Candid on October 25th. It's a free workshop, how to ask people money, how to ask people for money for artists. So feel free to join me for that. It'll be an interactive uh, webinar for, for a couple hours and it's free. Um, uh, there are a few books that uh, I like and I, you know, I, I got them next to me because I knew this was coming. So I think I got I got Fascinate, um, which is all about uh, making things, uh, you know, attractive to people. Uh, positivity. There we go. Fredrickson, um, because being positive about it 
And I think this is one of the best books for leadership that anybody could ever look at, Leadership and Self-Deception. And it's all about mindset and getting yourself able to do it. So kind of addresses the issues about relevancy and being positive and getting out of your own head, um, which I think are you know some of the main topics that, that we've um, covered today. Awesome. We'll be sure to link all of those uh, in the show notes for this episode. And of course, we're going to link to your free course that you're doing your free webinar um, at uh, Candid. That's coming up on October 25th, as you said. It's specifically for artists or is it for anyone? It's mostly for artists, but the topic is general enough. If you're not an artist, I think you would get a lot out of it. Um, you know, I think Candid wanted to be specific about it, but I've done this workshop for board members and for development people and um, really for any for anyone that's that's thinking about uh, raising money for something that they care about. Um, yeah. And we shouldn't forget that we have a great version of the course uh, on about our strategy. So if you want to check that out, too, it's good. Yeah, um, we'll have that linked up as well. Um, it's called How to Ask People for Money, and it really covers all of these things in detail with worksheets and step-by-step uh, -step processes. Um, so if people want to follow up with you, Andrew, uh, what should they do if they want to get in touch and learn more about what you're doing? Uh, yeah, the, the, the easiest thing is to email me um, uh, at New York State Children's Theater. My email is afrank at nycchildrenstheater.org, and um, I'm you know, because I am a, a coach and I work with individuals and leaders and, and um, nonprofits, I, I really do enjoy uh, helping people, uh, you know, pursue their dreams and, and make these projects happen. I, I sincerely believe, like you, Boris, um, and why this work that you're doing is so important is that uh, if we don't help nonprofit uh, entrepreneurs and nonprofit, um, you know, people succeed, then the world becomes not as nice a place and we, we, we need to help. Um, so feel free to email me and, and, I, and I'll get back to you um, because it's important. Awesome. Thank you, Andrew, for being so generous with your time with us and oh, with anybody you. listening who wants to follow up. Yeah, I and thank you, Boris. This is really great work that you're doing. Appreciate that. All right. And thank you, everybody, for joining us today. I hope you found this conversation with Andrew Frank around fundraising and crafting a great pitch uh, helpful to you and the work that you're doing. Feel free to follow up with him. Feel free to follow up with me on any questions that you might have, including if you want something specific featured on a future episode, uh, a specific part of the work that nonprofits do. You know, I love everything at the intersection of storytelling and technology and how that can be applied to everything. And certainly a lot of storytelling is applied to fundraising and the work that Andrew does. So thank you all for joining us. We'll see you again next week. And if you like this show, please, please, please like, uh, comment, leave a review so that more people can discover people like Andrew and the work that we're doing here to help you create more heroes for your cause. Bye-bye. Thank you all for watching and listening to the Nonprofit Hero Factory. We hope this episode has given you some ideas and strategies for creating more heroes for your cause and a better world for all of us. Please be sure to subscribe to this show on YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And let us know what you think by leaving a review.